Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they are really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of fantasy with a strong female lead and a new mom desperately trying to work out some time to read. And I'm Nicole, a lover of fiction that really makes me think about social issues. Well, yeah. welcome to um, book 56, Chelsea. Woo, woo. Really, we're really pulling away in our 1001 here. Yeah, we've made it a decent amount now. Yeah, I I feel like everything past 50 is just like, oh, we're actually going to finish. Unless we die a natural death or something. <laughs> I'm going to knock on wood for us, so that's the sound you hear. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to make it. I My husband and I were talking about, like, he was like, oh, you, you guys talked about the beginning and said it was going to take, like, X amount of years for you to finish. And I was like... Yeah, but that's at the beginning when our pace was a lot faster than our lives allow for right now. But we knew that would happen. We knew, like, families would happen. and. But then th- at the end, when we're retired, it'll even out. It'll speed up again. That's yeah. true. Yeah, because when we started this podcast, I was single and you were, like, just dating someone. <laughs> and yeah. now you're married with a kid and I'm married and our lives are totally different. Which is just crazy. We're only 50 books in. <laughs> Yeah, imagine, like, it's going to be such a nice collection to see how we've, like, our lives have gone by. I love it. Yeah. Uh, What have you been reading lately besides Glorious Book number 56? I have been reading Precious Little Sleep, which is a book about sleep habits of babies, and it is by Alexis Dubieff, and it's about trying to get your sweet little precious little gremlin to sleep, and I call my child lovingly a gremlin because after midnight... When you feed him, the evil awakens. <laughs> I feel like Gremlin should be his podcast name. Like, you know how famous people, like, they don't want to give their kids real names out in public. So they yeah, say something Yeah, we else. haven't named my child on here. He is going to be called Gremlin. That's great. <laughs> yes. Um, how about you? Um, one I read recently that I really, really, really loved, like, I bet it'll be, like, in my top list at the end of 2021, is The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. So I got this from Book of the Month Club, and it's, you've read Daisy Jones and the Six, which is like a fictional rock biography. Oh, yeah. If you read that, you should listen to it on audiobook, by the way. Really good. So this is similarly like a fictional rock biography thing, um, but it has added layers about racism because the group that they're writing about is a black woman and a white man in the 70s. Uh, a British white man, but their careers are happening in America. So there's like that too. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's told through interviews and news clips and stuff similar to Daisy Jones. And it is it's like better than Daisy Jones because the race stuff is so powerful and interesting. Um, I just like five stars, five out of five, must read for everyone. And my mom is reading it right now and she loves it. <laughs> oh, nice. Do you own it? I do own it, yeah. Oh, I'll have to borrow it. You can borrow it after it's going around to my mom and my aunt and my grandma, and then you can have it. Sweet. <laughs> um, okay, so today, book 56 is Bleak House by Charles Dickens, um, who's English, and it was um, published as a serial between 1852 and 1853. My edition had 740 pages, so it was quite a chunk yeah. chunkster. It was 33 <laughs> hours on audiobook. Yeah, and I we both read it in a mix of paper and audio because mm-hmm. it was long, and I needed yeah. to like every available second to finish it in time. <laughs> yeah, it was long, and uh, there were a lot of characters. <laughs> but before we get into that, we should probably give you our one word descriptions. Okay, mine is 
which is two words, is Victorian values. You're really bad at the one But it's one an alliteration. Words. It's an alliteration. <laughs> What's yours? Mine, which is just one word, is obsession. Mm, a, a cologne, right? <laughs> oh, yes. That's definitely what I was thinking about. <laughs> and the quick, quick plot for this book is... We experience life's life with the inhabitants of Bleak House, which isn't very bleak, while they deal with the effects of a never-ending court case. Yeah, and so, um, again, spoilers. I didn't Spo- say This book that. is 170 years old, so. <laughs> you really are going to be really spoiled here. Yeah. Um, this book, I. Wait, wait, before we get into it. Charles Dickens. Are you a fan? Have you read other stuff by him? I've only read The Christmas Carol. Yeah, I've read, and I haven't read any since high school, but in high school I had like a spree where I had The Christmas Carol, Great Expectations, um, and Oliver Twist. Hmm. And I never even heard of this one, Bleak House. Yeah, is is there more Dickens on the list? There's five Dickens books I checked, and I one of them is... Great Expectations and Oliver Twist, and then I think the Pickwick Papers. Okay, I've heard and, of that And one. then another one that I hadn't read that I don't remember. Oh, I've also read Nicholas Nickleby. But the one that, and it, but I was surprised not to see um, Tale of Two Cities or I think David Copperfield, which are really famous ones. So I'm not sure what the fifth yeah, one is. The but pick, there's more to come, yeah. The mm-hmm. Pickwick Papers, I only know because of Little Women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of experience with Oliver Twist. Art with Oliver Twist, with, with Charles Dickens. Yes. Um, and so certainly not Oliver Twist because I haven't read it. Uh, <laughs> so I was going in pretty blind because I feel like The Christmas Carol is a different kind of reading experience because it's so widely re-adapted like, that when you're reading it, it's more about getting to read the original setting yeah. of the Christmas Carol rather than reading Charles Dickens. Yeah, I can't stop seeing the Muppets. You yeah. Know, the, the best version of the Christmas Carol. The oh, Muppet yeah, Christmas I'm Carol. <laughs> definitely picturing the Muppets in my head right now. Yeah. Um, and so... Where is Muppet Bleak House? That's all I'm saying. Come on, Jim Henson company. That would be... It'd be a rough one to make. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't have a lot of experience, and I don't know that I had formed an opinion. Did you have an opinion on Dickens? I think I expected, it's been, you know, 15 years since I've touched any Dickens, but I know that I like, I, what I expected, which proved to be true, was that I like it, but it takes a minute to get into the rhythm of his writing because it's so old, you know, it's so far removed from the present, but then once I'm into it, I like it, which proved the, the reading experience is what I expected. Well, and it's interesting because... Uh... I feel like we'll discover this as we read more of his books. His writing definitely does have a distinct rhythm that yes. I would say even stands out from other writing at the time. Like it's very yes. distinctly um, the way people talk, the way things move about. It, it, this is a weird connection, but it was making me think of the show Gilmore Girls. If you've ever watched it, where like, all of the words have a cadence and a rhythm and everybody's talking really fast is kind of what I was picturing happening in my head as I was reading it. Like it was like a written version of that. Like, yeah, totally speedy, Mm -hmm. speedy, quick current day, um, pop culture references, I think were hidden in his books a lot too. Um, in a that was like in that kind of rhythm, which I'm not saying it's not like Gilmore girls at all, but that's what it made me think of. Yeah. He has a distinct sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And a distinct 
political stance that is in all of his books. Yes. Uh, about poverty and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think he does stand out, which is probably one of the reasons his books have stood the test of time, because this when this was written in the 1850s, novels were just starting to become widely read. Like, that's the era right, where you didn't want young women to read too many novels mm-hmm. because they would, you know, not be good wives. <laughs> and so I think there's a reason his are the books that we're still reading, you know? Oh, and speaking of kind of, like, women in the time, I was surprised how I wasn't super offended by his characterization of women. Yeah, they were pretty much fine like yeah. like it was just like yep yeah, it's victorian times so they're you know they have a limited option of choices in life but they're whole people who have personalities and goals that are separate from the men in their lives and not all the women were cookie cutters of each other yes. so all yeah. the women had different characteristics and traits mm-hmm. which we can't even say of some of the books published in the <clears throat> 1920s <laughs> that we have read and so it was really really nice and Mm -hmm. i was also very impressed um with the depictions of like poverty and like the opinions on poverty of the time which i thought were very forward thinking i mean there is some casual racism which is a product of its time but it was also nice that it wasn't i feel like some books that we've read have been overtly racist in a way where you could tell the author held those opinions, whereas other books are using general like colloquialisms as the of the day, and because of the time, it was just that those colloquialisms, like talking about people who were Jewish being rich and money hungry, and um, like yes, is very racist, but was not used to like further that that that's the author's viewpoint, but was rather like that's how people talked. If that makes sense. Yeah. Also, like, one of the big spots race came into it was, like, a minor character was really caught up in, um, like, charity. And she was really focused on, like, a charity project in Africa that she was part of the empire, you know, that she was um, trying to raise money for. And in the book, it was made mostly mentioned as a point to be, like, she's not doing what she should have. She's neglecting her own children. So she's failing as a woman. Like, that's a whole separate thing. But about the race, she was kind of made fun of because yeah. he was putting next to like oh we're you want to help these people in africa that you have decided need help without knowing them um but but you're ignoring the poor people that are like on your doorstep in your neighborhood mm-hmm. uh and so it was really it was kind of uh anti-empire and anti like uh white savior in africa which is like a very common theme yeah. in the western world to this so, day like, i was very oddly like impressed for the time, Absolutely, I felt yeah. like it was very... Uh, well, his books are really political. Like, we read them just for the story, you know, Oliver Twist just for the story, but they're they're political, and they're saying something about um, what is wrong with his era. Mm-hmm. And I think when I, reading it, it was like, oh, I know I'm missing a lot of references that I should get about the political climate that it would make it even better and even funnier than it is. Nevertheless, it was still funny enough that I laughed out loud. Something 170 years old, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Me too. And I um, I definitely had, like, characters that I liked, that I found funny, that I found, like, what was going on with them interesting and engaging. Mm-hmm. Because something about this novel, because it is so long, and I think it's a large point of the novel that the, um, so there's a court case going on, Jaundice and Jaundice, 
and which I would not have pronounced like that, by the way, without having listened the to the audiobook. audiobook yeah. It's spelled jaundice. Yeah. But um, jaundice and jaundice. And it's like it's based on like a dispute about a will and it has gone on and on and on for decades without um, any res- resolution. Yeah. Like this is like the third generation that is involved mm-hmm. in this case. And so um, the book, I feel like, is meandering with so many characters as also like a counterpoint to that the the suit is meandering with so many Mm -hmm. characters so it felt really nice that it um it created for you a sense that things weren't going to end because the book just kind of kept going and you'd meet like you were 40 chapters of 67 in and you met another new character and you're like what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was like Oh, so for 200 pages at the beginning, we're just going to introduce new people. And it was like, oh, there's another one. It kind of made you think of like Game of Thrones, where you're like, oh, in the fifth book, there's going to be a whole new story. Um, yeah, and it was funny like because like, I I was like, I'm not going to remember these people. And then by the end, I did actually yeah. remember them, which was surprising. Because every single character got a resolution at the end, which oh, was yeah. very satisfying. Um, every single one, and there was multiple people to root for and multiple people to dislike, which is a satisfying thing in a book. Um, the yeah, the court case stuff was really interesting. I didn't get a chance. There's a long introduction at the beginning of my book, which I didn't read because I ran out of time. But I um, it, I love that at the beginning of the introduction, it said, "Don't read this until after you've read the book, so the book will be a surprise." Which all introductions should say that. Yes. And then, but I was just skimming the very beginning of it. And it's based on there was two court cases in the same era that both lasted almost 100 years in the British court system. So it's like based on something real that was happening that um, is making at the time the British justice system look ridiculous and useless. And it um, so basically this book is like the original lawyer joke. Like it's making fun of lawyers every other page about how dumb they are and how they're just trying to get rich off you and they don't care about you. Like every lawyer joke that's ever been has its roots in this book. (laughs) Yeah. And it also like, uh, all of the lawyers in the novel are fairly obviously not good characters. Yeah. You can't, they're not, you can't root for them. They're power money hungry and power hungry and, and like wanting to manipulate people to get what they want. And yeah. And so it was really interesting. And then I liked too that at the end of this court case or at the end of the book, the court case does get resolved. Um, but what happens is that in the time the court case has been in session, the lawyer's fees have eaten up every bit of the, like, outcome like the money that's at stake. yeah there's a name for that but i can't think of it um every bit of that and so the court case is solved but nobody gets anything so they just they like they didn't even really resolve the problem which will is the right will it's just like well we're out of money so we'll just stop yeah. and and uh and it's it's tragic for some of the characters but it's also like yeah that's what this kind of inefficiency and bureaucracy leads to like it's mm-hmm. it's very political like um i think when People only think of the Christmas Carol when they think of Charles Dickens. They don't realize how political he was in his time. Yeah, and it was interesting because I think, too, this book said each of the characters was driving home, like, a different kind of message. And so, like, Mm -hmm. they each touched differently. So, like, I guess we could talk, like, which character did you, which story arc did you find most engaging or did you think was most interesting or think the political message was most interesting in it? I really loved Esther. So... One thing that's strange about this book is that there's two narrators. There's Esther 
And then there's like a, a omniscient. omniscient, like not a character narrator. And it goes back and forth. And it seems weird. Like it's a weird switch between yeah. those two. But I really loved Esther's story. And um, I'd partially just because her, her chapters felt more modern and easy to read. Um, because her voice felt like that. And I, and I also think like her... She had an interesting arc because she's like involved in the mystery in the book and she's caring for lots of other main characters. Like she has, she's kind of the center of the web. Um, but she's also just really, really likable and like mm-hmm. feels like someone that you could know um, in real life. And she gets, she kind of gets the hero's ending of the book where like the most happy ending um, out of any character. And so, uh, yeah, I just enjoyed her. And then I, I liked, um, the uh like military guy who had like let george george um because again he he just really you could really root for him you know he was just like he was a really nice guy but he didn't think highly of himself so he didn't expect much out of life but then his family still embraced him after a long um separation and i i just you know fundamentally i I just don't like to read books with only unlikable characters which is some books for the podcast have just been like yeah very unlikable and this just felt Really sweet, but not so sweet as to be distasteful, you know? Yeah, like it wasn't saccharine. Like. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah. But um, it was just satisfying, you know? A random side character, there's two that I really thought the stories were, or two sets of characters that I really liked their stories and um, were kind of, thought that they were important. One on a serious note, which I'll get to in a second, but first, I liked, so that character George, the soldier character, he had a set of two friends, and I can't think of their last name now that the I'm... The couple? Or yeah. yeah. I can't think of their last name now that I'm not reading it. They were really funny. He mm-hmm. had a set of two friends, and they, like, they really came up to bat for him. Like, they were like, he's a good guy, he... Our Bat-net, kids love Bagnet, him. Bagnet, maybe? Yes, mm-hmm. that's what it was, Bagnet. Um, our kids love him kind of thing. They came to bat for him, but I just loved their interplay. They were the couple that made me laugh out loud a couple mm-hmm. of times, because it was like, the husband was very, like, not subservient, but he would, like, tune to his wife. So someone would say, what do you think about this? And he'd be like, well, I think my lady needs to tell us what she thinks. And she she would say, tell him what my opinion is, honey. (laughs) And then she would relay it. He would look to her. She would relay it back to him, and he would repeat it. And he'd be like, yep, that's my opinion. It was, I don't know why, but I just thought that they were hilarious. And then it also was really nice because... um. You could tell just within that humor that they really respected each other in a way yeah. that, like, relationships weren't always equal back then. And so at one point, um, the wife goes off to help out the George character, and the, the one of the other characters is like, well, tells the husband, well, why aren't you going to go with her? And she he goes, no, she's a soldier's wife. She's done this before. She's fine. And just goes home. Yeah, that was really... Really and like so I really and... just liked that character. Mm-hmm. Um, the other story that I thought um, t- I found very touching in a way that I didn't expect was of was of the little orphan Joe. Mm-hmm. So there's this little boy in the story. It's unclear how old he is. Somewhere between like 10 or 8 and like 14. Yeah. Um, and he gets kind of enmeshed in what's happening on with the court case and with some of the characters and there's a lot, you know, going on in this book, but he ends up dying of 
kind of side effects from smallpox is what I got. Oh, was the illness. I, I didn't have, even have the sense that it was smallpox. I guess I just assumed smallpox because it was a fever where they ended up with disfigured faces. Well, that's true. But in the 1850s, people were already vaccinated against smallpox. That vaccine existed. I don't know. what, But it might not have been widespread. I don't know. I don't know. It was some sort of fever. I just thought it was like a fever. It was a fevered illness that disfigured your face with pockmarks because Esther Mm. ended up being disfigured from it. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'm not sure, but I just thought smallpox. Anyway. He ended up dying from some side effects of that. And uh, in the end, he's being cared for in the soldier George's house. And they all know that he's on his way out. And they're all visiting this poor orphan boy. And all he can think about is how um, he's people are caring about him now. And he's just feeling sorry that he made other people sick. And it's this whole... Uh, twisted web where it's clearly a commentary on poverty at the time and how there were many 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 children who were living in abject poverty and were not being cared for and were um being considered a burden on society while they were just put in these situations and i just really uh I don't know, when he died, I was like, I'm very sad about this minor character that I've only read about in, like, four chapters. Very upset. Yeah, I actually marked that that um, end of that chapter because then he dies and then the chapter ends. Dead, your majesty. Dead, my lords and gentlemen. Dead, right reverends and wrong reverends of every order. Dead, men and women born with heavenly compassion in your hearts and dying thus around us every day. So it's quite an indictment of all the pe- powerful players of the time and, and any and any common person, too, that cares about pe- other people um, that were not paying attention to what's happening, um, which I think is really, really powerful. Which I would argue is still very powerful today. Yeah, that's why it really struck me where it's just like, yeah, like, uh, that's the thing is that about this book is that even though poverty means something different now than it did in the 1850s in England. It means something different. It looks different. Um, a lot of the like, oh, we're being cared. We care. We're doing this. That, but it actually is doing more harm than good. That's seen in this book is and and people need our help and we know what they need. They we don't need them to tell us. We can tell them what they need. All that stuff is still around in the way I also, our social system. That works. is something that I this book was so good with that. Also, too, like the commentary on. Um, our justice system, mm-hmm. and I mean it was focused on lawyers in this book, but also the commentary on the like the futility yeah. of the justice system that you can't get justice out of it. That which is why I chose my word oppression, mm-hmm. not oppression, obsession. Sorry, I was like <laughs> oppression. That doesn't fit with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does, but obsession was that um because everyone in this book. Not everyone, but it was revolving around the obsession around this case that wasn't really serving justice to anyone. Yeah. And so on a very different level now, our justice system does similar things where justice isn't really being served in situations and people um, have to make the decision whether they're going to bring something to court to be solved in theory, I'm doing quotation marks, when it might not be resolved. 
Yeah. And so I just, a lot of the commentary felt very relevant still. Yeah. And the character, the main character who gets most obsessed with the outcome of Jarndus and Jarndus is, um, and then he dies when the ca- the day that the case is like all the money is going to be used for lawyers fees, he dies. And, uh, and he's the one who most believed that he was going to get justice out of it, even when everyone told him it was a lost cause. Mm-hmm. It's really telling. It's, um, yeah, it does feel, and it's kind of depressing that we're having the same problems, you know, 170 years later. But it's, uh, it feels, it's really relevant still. It really is. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, Charles Dickens's naming oh, yeah. of mm-hmm. things and characters and places. Like, I find it ironic that the book is named Bleak House and it's about a set of characters who live in that house who end up for the most part getting a happy ending because the house is Yeah, it's not it wasn't nearly as depressing a book as you would have think. Yeah, and like the house isn't actually bleak, like it's tongue in cheek. Um and some of the characters were named in a way that uh it was hinting at their character traits. So like Snagsby is a character and he gets like snagged up in everything yeah. that's happening and then you mentioned one of them um the small weeds which is like a family and they're very like small and petty yeah. and then there's Mr. Woodcourt who courts maybe is going to court Esther you know yeah and like um Lady Deadlock who is locked into her death by a series of secrets she's holding yeah mm-hmm. and so like all the naming conventions were really tongue-in-cheek and then i thought found it particularly hilarious then that um the way he references like vaguely things that i wish we like understood the pop context. culture kind of yeah. context of the time but like the systems that's going on in the houses of britain is like the poodles and the doodles and the coodles are all yeah he's making fun other. of what's going on in the parliament yeah but we we like totally miss it but he's like yeah. giving them like ridiculous names that are just yeah yeah it's it's um yeah it's just like i want to revive charles dickens and have him write something about the present because it would think it would be really hilarious <laughs> Yeah, no, I um, thoroughly, I went into this book thinking I wasn't going to enjoy it just because I expected, I expected something of a male voice in 1850 that maybe I shouldn't expect, but maybe that this podcast thus far has oftentimes confirmed for me, (laughs) Uh, this like bias that it's going to be something horribly racist, horribly misogynistic horribly um small-minded and i didn't find that which was like a very immense relief i'm not gonna lie yeah (laughs) the other thing that i also loved about it was that at the end he kills off so many characters and it's just like often you read a book and then at the end the resolution feels kind of empty because there's no real stakes because they're afraid they just the author just won't take the bold mood of really killing someone off and displeasing their audience but it just it, even though the characters that died i wanted them all to like, just survive and it all to be fine the killing off was like just like yeah like this is real like it just felt a lot satisfying and i liked too that not all the good guys got a happy ending mm-hmm. because there yeah. was a character in the book who's the wife of He's like a minor character, Sir Leicester. How's his Leicester? name? Leicester. Leicester. Who he's not a bad guy. He actually he finds out that his wife had a child by someone else, and before, yeah, before they, before were, they were together, and 
he um, makes it a promise that he needs to say, like, that I still love her, I still support her kind of thing. Like, he's not a bad, but he doesn't have a happy ending. No. And that's okay. Like, it doesn't feel like it's bad that he doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah. Which I also appreciated that. Like, there was our hero's ending for Esther, but not every single character had that kind of perfect, happy... Yeah, it just feels... um... Like there's a there's a space allowed for grief. That like yeah, he's he's in grief at the end of the book, mm-hmm. and that's normal, and he doesn't have to be over it. Yeah, you know, which is just I think that's something that's kind of missing in American culture, right, and in our books, um, that we are supposed to just bounce back, you know, right away. <laughs> and ironically, his house, Chesney Wald, which was supposed to be the like model of a beautiful, vibrant house that had lots of life ends up being the Bleak House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas the house named Bleak House is a house where families are surviving and thriving. Yeah. Which is super interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Overall I think it was this book was a surprise how much we can we could pull out of it. I know, and it's interesting because I feel like we haven't really the plot of this book, there's so many things going yeah, on. Yeah, we can't even get into it. It's so complex. Yeah, you could keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it because I feel like we're just flip-flopping around because there is so much in those 700, 800 pages yeah. that are squeezed in, which is so funny because sometimes at the time when I was reading it, I was like, nothing has freaking happened. Yeah, the first 200 pages, nothing happens. And, it, and if I had a criticism, it would be that it could be 200 pages shorter. I think that's the point, though. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up, that it is supposed to be meandering, and like the court case. Also, we have to remember that he wrote this as a, like a serial, serial and so, so presumably he made more money if it got longer. Because <laughs> the more chapters he published, the longer yeah. it was going to take. So why the hell not introduce 50 characters? Exactly. But it really, it shows a real expert hand, because they really do all come together. Every character has a point, which I feel like... It makes me think of Game of Thrones, like I said, and I didn't watch the show. I only read the books as far as they've come out, mm-hmm. but it just it doesn't actually seem like they do all come together at the end. They're just kind of there superfluously. But in this, yeah. every character, there's a reason that you've learned about the backstory of a random small character. Which makes for much more payoff. And it, I imagine yes. it being like the TV series of the day. Yeah. Like, it'd come out and you'd talk about what happened next. Yeah, because it's, it's like... political and funny and, and it's heart like heart-wrenching, you know? Um, yeah, but, no, I, I really, I had a fun time imagining that this was like the hot series of the day. Yeah. Like we'd be doing our podcast about each release of yeah. each chapter of this book. Yeah. Totally. I, I had the same thought. Speaking of, there is a BBC mini series of Bleak House that is available on Hulu, um, mm. that I think we should watch the first episode of. Okay. We it can has for next good one. reviews. Okay. I intended to watch a couple of episodes, but you know, life. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, yeah, we can watch that before we were next next episode. So I think we've we clearly enjoyed the book, but do we think it belongs on the list? Is it a book that every person should read before they die? One, two, three. No. Yes. Oh, split oh. decision. Surprise. I'm shocked you didn't say yes. I for me, it's just it's in that category that's like. It was really fun, and I really liked it. Um, I don't think it's going to be the best Charles Dickens book on here, and I don't think I don't think I'm going to like think about it in the future. Like it doesn't have the same. Even though I really liked it, I just think we've had other ones that just like, oh, this is a really fun book. It's interesting. There's stuff to talk about, but it's not like a. 
it's not like the pivot hill net of the canon, you know, the absolute Well, and the I canon, guess, too, top. you've read other Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. So you have other books that you could think of in your head that you're thinking maybe that would be a book I'd put on the list. But I haven't. Like, obviously, Christmas Carol isn't going on our list. Like, <laughs> yeah. so I don't have that to that. Maybe I wonder if that's influencing the split decision. Oh, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Me. Uh, what are we going to read next time? Let's draw. Dun, da, da, da. We are going to read Everything That Rises Must Converge. And I'm going to admit, you know we buy these in advance. The cover of this book is freaking beautiful. It's a great cover, and the title is really good. Even if I had we didn't buy them in advance, and I only I would just be like, this is going to be a good book. It is a good title. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I don't know anything about it yet. I haven't, like, perused it or anything. Yeah. But the cover itself is beautiful. There's birds and watercolor, and I'm in. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's going to be about, like, how, how, like, the interconnectedness of everything and that, like, when you go through terrible things, beautiful things can come out of it sometimes. Yeah, I was I was thinking how, like, stories can intertwine to make mm-hmm. a picture that you don't see coming. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, so look forward to We're looking forward to it. You can look forward to it, too, to hear about it. Yeah, so um, until then, you can find us on... You can email us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Litzy or Goodreads at 1001bookspodcast or... Or you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at 1001bookspod. So yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. The uh, And we want to give credit to... We have an, someone new doing our editing, which is great my husband so thanks babe (laughs) thank you we don't know if you want your name said so you can edit it out but thank you patrick (laughs) all right until next time happy Happy reading. reading